The Matheson Pensions Podcast. Presented by Deirdre Cummins, partner in the Employment, Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson. This podcast series examines the topical legal issues affecting the operation and management of occupational pension schemes in Ireland and is relevant to pension scheme trustees, employers, pension practitioners and industry professionals. Hello and welcome. In this episode, we're focusing on the general scheme of the Social Welfare and Pensions Bill 2017 and the implications and impact of this. This has the potential to fundamentally change the pensions landscape in Ireland for defined benefit pension schemes by making it more difficult for employers to wind them up. Later on, we'll also be discussing, in an Irish law context, the implications of the recent Court of Appeal decision in the IBM case. My name is Deirdre Cummins and I'm a partner in the Employment Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson and I'm joined today by my colleague Jane McKeever, an associate in the group. So Jane, let's start with the general scheme. So to give you a bit of background on this, the general scheme was published earlier this year in May. It was then introduced to the Dáil as a bill in July and it's called the Social Welfare Pensions and Civil Registration Bill 2017, if you want to look it up. The really odd thing about this, and I know you have some questions that you want to ask as well in relation to this, but the really odd thing about this was that when it was introduced to the Dáil as a bill, the significant provisions or the provisions which had the significant changes in them were actually removed from the text of the document. Well, that is rather odd, Deirdre, and I suppose the obvious question is, what's going on? Do we know whether these changes are gone for good or might they be coming back at some point? That's hard to say, but the best information we have at the moment, and this is coming from the Minister for Employment and Social Protection, Regina Doherty, is that the changes that were removed will be reinserted. And she said as much in the Dáil in July. OK, so to an extent, it's a bit of a wait and see thing. But if the changes are coming, can you tell us a bit about what we can expect to see? Absolutely. The main purpose of this piece of legislation is to provide better protections for members of defined benefit pension schemes by making it more difficult for employers to wind them up. The idea here is that a notice period would be introduced, which is a mandatory notice period, and that employers, if they wish to cease making contributions to the scheme, would have to give both the pensions authority, the regulator, and the trustees of the scheme 12 months notice of its intention to stop making contributions. The idea is that in that 12-month period, the employer would continue to make the contributions and at the end of that period, the scheme would be fully funded on a minimum funding standard basis, which is the statutory basis set out in the Pensions Act. So if the scheme is not fully funded at the end of the notice period, or if a funding proposal between the parties hasn't been agreed to restore the scheme to full funding over a period of time, the Pensions Authority can actually step in at that stage and impose a schedule of contributions on the employer. Now, that is completely new in Irish law. And the proposal is that this schedule of contributions would be an enforceable debt on the employer, what we call debt on the employer provisions. We have never had anything like that in an Irish law context before. And it is designed to prevent schemes from winding up where they're under the minimum funding standard. Okay, so there's fairly significant changes then on the agenda. Why do you think these are being brought forward now? I mean, we haven't had anything like it previously, even though there have been cases in the past that might have prompted changes like these. That's right. And 
To say it was a bit out of the blue is probably a fair statement. I mean, the former Minister for Social Protection, Leo Varadkar, and now Taoiseach, actually indicated that he didn't support the introduction of debt on the employer. So we can only speculate, really, on why these changes are coming now. But I think one of the reasons, potentially, is the scheme closure in independent news and media. You might be aware of that because it got a lot of media attention this year. And as you might also know, Matheson act for the trustees of this scheme and advise the trustees, I suppose, successfully through quite a satisfactory closure of the scheme. But I think what happened there, because there was so much media attention on it, it effectively shone a spotlight on the fact that employers could potentially walk away from defined benefit pension schemes without making good the deficit unlike, for example, the regime that's in place in the UK at the moment. And I think potentially that led to this legislation or potential legislation being introduced. Yeah, I mean, it did get a lot of media attention and I think there probably was some political pressure brought on to do something about uh, that situation where employers here can continue to wind up to find benefit schemes underfunded and to walk away from those schemes without making good the deficit. If I understand you correctly, then what I'm hearing is that employers will no longer be able to walk away from underfunded defined benefit schemes, but that they only have to fund them up to a fairly basic level being the minimum funding standard. So recently I was reading the Pensions Authority statistics on defined benefit schemes that are continuing to operate in Ireland. And what I'm hearing is that most of them are meeting the funding standard. And of the few that don't meet the funding standard, they have funding proposals in place. So if all of the schemes are either meeting the funding standard or are on their way to meeting the funding standard, then, you know, what's this all about? Is it a bit of a storm in a teacup, really? Well, no, I I don't think so, actually, because the changes that are included in the general scheme have particular significance for some defined benefit schemes over others. So in particular, for schemes in which employers have an immediate termination power, so they don't have to serve notice if they want to wind up the scheme and where the employer contribution obligation is drafted in favour of trustees, which means that the trustee effectively unilaterally has the power to set the contribution rate. This legislation is going to be very significant for those schemes because in those schemes, There is no notice period at the moment. So the trustees have a very limited opportunity to issue a contribution demand of the employer in circumstances where the employer wants to wind up. Whereas if the mandatory notice period is introduced, as is proposed in the legislation, the trustees then potentially have a much greater ability to issue a contribution demand of the employer. And the really important thing to remember here is that The contribution demand that the trustees will likely put together won't simply be for funding on an MFS basis or the minimum funding standard basis. And arguably, they will put together a contribution demand for an amount well in excess of that in order to fully provide the benefits under the scheme. And that's very, very significant for some schemes. Okay, so it sounds like then for at least a group of schemes, these changes could have a really significant impact. Employers are obviously going to be very concerned about that. What about trustees? Are there particular concerns coming out of this that they need to be aware of? Absolutely, because if you flip the situation that I just described on its head and you take a look at it from the point of view of the trustee, so there is at the moment no notice period required and they have the power potentially to issue a contribution demand. If you're an employer and you're looking at that, 
you will understand that you have a much greater risk of a contribution demand if this legislation is introduced. So arguably, I would imagine a lot of employers are looking at this to see if they can potentially do something with their scheme before this legislation is introduced. And so maybe they would be considering winding up the schemes sooner rather than later. Okay, so that's something serious for trustees to be thinking about as well as employers. Do you have any particular advice for employers and trustees, given the kind of dearth of information we have about what's actually going to happen? Well, that's a hard question to answer, not to give a lawyer's answer to the question, but there are a couple of things that they should keep in mind. Firstly, the situation is somewhat fluid in the sense that while the minister indicated that the changes that have been removed would be reinserted, we don't know if they will be reinserted exactly as drafted in the general scheme or if they will be modified. So we're not entirely clear yet what exactly is coming down the line as we haven't seen the final text of the draft bill. The other point I would make in relation to that is that the general scheme as originally drafted envisaged that a lot of the detail would be worked out in regulations. And again, we haven't seen anything like that yet. So we need to wait and see on those two fronts. The doll resumes on the 20th of September and I would expect that this will be quite high on the agenda when the doll resumes. So from a trustee and from an employer perspective, I don't think you have a huge amount of time to be thinking about this now. You need to take action. And what you really need to do in the first instance is have a look at your scheme documentation and have a chat to your advisors to ascertain what the impact of this legislation will be on your pension scheme and also to figure out in the context of the scheme or your business the steps that need to be taken going forward in this regard. Okay, thanks for that, Deirdre. Obviously, we'll be keeping an eye on that and I presume we'll be issuing updates as things develop. Absolutely. So if you'd like to know more about any of the issues we discussed in that section of the podcast or if you'd like to contact Deirdre or myself, you can find the Pensions Group on matheson.com. You're listening to the Matheson Pensions Podcast. Jane, let's move on to the IBM case that was recently heard in the Court of Appeal in the UK. Can you remind us what that case was about? Yeah, that's right, Deirdre. It's a couple of years since that case was originally heard. And I can't go into the full detail of it here. It was a really complicated case with a really lengthy judgment. But in brief, in 2009, IBM were coming under a lot of pressure in the middle of the financial crisis to increase earnings per share. So they needed to find cost saving measures. And as part of that, they announced a package of changes to their two defined benefit schemes. So the main changes that were announced were closing the scheme to future accrual, bringing a longstanding favourable early retirement policy to an end. And then they also required members to sign up to agreements that provided that future salary increases would not be pensionable. And essentially, they forced members to sign up to that by saying that if they refused to sign them, they wouldn't be eligible for future pay increases. So these changes on their own, I suppose, wouldn't have been particularly notable, but they came on foot of two previous sets of changes. And members had understood that those previous sets of changes would allow the scheme to be continued as they were. They were obviously unhappy with that and started creating a fuss. And then the trustees of the two schemes, for their part, also had a number of concerns about the changes that were being proposed. In particular, they expressed concern that IBM might be breaching their imperial duty of good faith to members. And they said that they thought that the changes couldn't be lawfully implemented. IBM then went ahead and sought a declaration from the UK High Court 
that the changes could in fact be lawfully implemented. Jane, I'll stop you there for a minute. Can you just explain to us briefly before we go any further what the imperial duty of good faith is? Sure. So it's well established in the employment context that in an employment contract, there's an implied term that the employer won't act in a way that's likely to damage the relationship of trust and confidence that exists between the employer and the employee, unless there's a good and serious reason to do so. So a number of years back then, that was extended into the pensions context in a case known as the Imperial Tobacco case. And in that case, the judge said that the implied duty of good faith and confidence applies just as much in the pensions context as it would apply to any exercise of rights and powers by an employer. So in the IBM case, the court held that IBM in its behaviour and particularly actually through statements it had made to both the employer and the trustees in the two previous sets of benefit changes, had led to members having reasonable expectations about the future behaviour of IBM in the context of the pension schemes. So they found that IBM had not shown that there was no other way of achieving these cost-saving measures that it had to achieve that wouldn't have disappointed the employees' reasonable expectations about the continuation of benefit accrual and the retention of the early retirement policy. So essentially, the court held that IBM had, in fact, breached its imperial duty of good faith. And that's very significant for employers then, isn't it? Yeah, it was a matter of concern for employers. As you know, in recent times, benefit restructuring exercises have become very common as pressure has come on employers to cost save generally and uh, keep their businesses going. So when this judgment came out, We had to tell employers that if they were making benefit changes, they needed to look back to any previous benefit changing that they had carried out to see had they possibly made statements or behaved in a way that might have led employees to believe that no future changes would be made. And even if that wasn't the case, we were advising employers that they needed to be very careful when issuing statements to employees that they weren't putting anything into those statements that might limit their ability to exercise their powers in the future. And so IBM appealed. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the cost implications for them of having uh, lost in the High Court were absolutely enormous. So the Court of Appeal judgment was issued there in August. And interestingly, the Court of Appeal allowed IBM's appeal and they held that the High Court had applied the wrong test in determining whether there had been a breach by IBM of the imperial duty of good faith. The Court of Appeal took the view that the High Court had been wrong to decide that a principal employer had to justify the exercise of its discretion by showing that it had reasonable and proper cause to exercise the discretion in the way that it had. Mm-hmm. Instead, they found that where an employer is exercising a discretionary power under a pension scheme, What you have to use when examining that is a rationality test. So the kind of thing that the court would look at there is, did the employer act in an arbitrary or capricious manner? Did they consider all the relevant factors? And did they reach a decision that an employer acting rationally might have reached? So looking at that in totality, the Court of Appeal found that IBM had not, in fact, breached the imperial duty Now, I should say that they didn't dismiss the concept of members' reasonable expectations out of hand. They just felt that that was just one factor to be considered and shouldn't be elevated over the other factors. Okay, so what does that mean for employers then, Jane? Well, I should say firstly, Deirdre, that this was a UK decision and so it can be of persuasive authority only in Ireland. Essentially, that means that 
the Irish courts might look to the UK courts to see what they have done in similar circumstances. That's particularly the case where we don't have any cases on similar facts here in Ireland. I think the judgment can be generally welcomed by employers. What's happened is the Court of Appeal has confirmed that in reality there's a relatively high threshold to be reached if you want to challenge the exercise by an employer of a discretionary power under a scheme. So where previously people were getting very concerned about what the employer had done in the past and whether these had created reasonable expectations, now it's safe to say that if an employer has behaved rationally and can demonstrate that it has done so and has taken all the relevant factors rather into account, then it should be in a very good position to defend itself against any claim that it has breached its imperial duty of good faith. So overall then employers can be less concerned about whether statements made in the past may bind them into the future. That's definitely true, although I should caution that the Court of Appeal did not dismiss the idea of reasonable expectations out of hand. It did say that it was still a relevant factor. So what I would say is employers should continue to exercise caution when issuing statements and should think about talking to their advisors, particularly if they're making uh, significant benefit changes, to ensure that they are staying within the bounds of what is reasonable and not limiting themselves into the future. Thank you, Jane. That's it for this time. But be sure to join us next time on the Matheson Pensions podcast, where we'll be discussing the General Data Protection Regulation. Please do let us know if you have any questions or queries on this and we can address them in that podcast. You can contact us on pensions at matheson.com. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Pensions podcast. For more information, go to matheson.com forward slash pensions. Matheson.